Hello everyone and welcome to Heart Yoga Radio. We're sitting indoors today because it's extremely windy outside. So what's the inspiration for this podcast today? Well, looking at unfolding events around the world, we've got the Russia-Ukraine crisis, the cost of living crisis, environmental Armageddon and uh, all the rest. We've got parts of Britain still underwater Many parts still without electricity or smashed to bits through extreme wind damage with possibly more to come. So the, uh, the level of insecurity, not just in our country, but probably in every country in the world, is increasing daily. And this feeling of insecurity, when you look around and see how it is being expressed and how people are responding to it. Unfortunately, people can respond to the anxiety and the the insecurity of the rapidly unfolding events in ways which unfortunately can be quite destructive to to them and to society in general. In their, their quest to diminish the feeling of anxiety that the insecurity is bringing to them. Unfortunately, it is happening that groups of people, sometimes quite large groups of people, are finding refuge in, how shall I put it politely, really crazy ideas (laughs) Um, that are ultimately unhelpful to them. So what we wanted to talk about today is this this feeling of insecurity and how how we can respond to the insecurity in a way which uh, ends up leading us to positive action, something that will be actually helpful for us and to the people around us. Okay then, so Pete, where is a good starting point to address this question, do you think? Well, a good place to begin is the beginning. (laughs) <laughs> as ever, as ever. Yeah. Uh, what, 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 what strikes me initially about this, this whole question of security, right, is, is that there are, there are two, at least two, there may be more than two, but there are at least two sort of like obvious aspects to it. And you alluded to both of them in, in your introduction. On the one hand, there's the way in which Insecurity manifests individually within the psyche of an individual. And uh, I'm just going to call that individual psychological insecurity. I mean, sometimes I'll say on the individual level, and sometimes I'll say, uh, I'll talk about psychological insecurity. But that's about how actual living individuals feel about their situation as they are in the midst of it and living through it. So that's there, and and you've sort of outlined uh, our, our objective here, which would be the, 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 like maybe one person out there will listen to this and go, oh yeah, this this is helpful to me. We're, we're funny people. We want the significance of being helpful, you know. It's <laughs> um, very mature of us, but there you go. We, we, you know, we do. So on the one on the one hand, the individual and psychological manifestation of insecurity. On the other hand, the material insecurity 
which you talked about in relation to, well, war, scarcity, famine, plague. <laughs> it's all, we've got all of it. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, when I look at our lives at the moment and the lives of people across the world, I was trying to think this morning, yeah. is there a single yeah. area of our life that is actually nice and yeah. firm and secure and recognisable? And I actually couldn't think of anything. Yeah. I mean, there are certain insecurities which threaten the entire species and they're very, very pressing right, right at the moment. Um, uh, obviously... Global warming, which in fact is only one aspect of massive environmental degradation that's that's taking place and that's accelerating, and, and which the world tried to address with the cop, the, the various cops, and the last one was what COP twenty six, which was forgotten the day after. Yeah, and now we're having a resource war. Basically, you you're crying. There's a lot. Of, it's not exactly a resource war, but at the same time. You try and understand that situation without without factoring in the fact that Russia is the world's second biggest exporter of oil, and that it exports its gas through the Ukraine through pipelines into Europe. There are other pipelines. There's a pipeline under the Baltic, for instance, across northern Germany, all this sort of stuff. But there's a huge pipeline gas through through the Ukraine. And so, like the fossil fuel economy is still there, like throwing up the shit and chaos that it does. At the same time as it's burning up the planet and, and, and destroying the possibility of human life. So if you feel insecure in this situation... It, it's very g- rational. <laughs> g- given that, given that there's, a, there's, a, there's a, global, a global pandemic still, whatever they say about... However uh, much Johnson pretends there isn't. And pretty well it, any economist of any stripe, neoliberal, even neoliberal economists... With very few exceptions, Marxist economists, anarchist economists, Keynesian economists, they're all saying, oh my God, the economy is fucked. Oh, yeah. Each for their own yeah. reasons, because it's fucked from whichever angle you look at it. Pretty from, much, unfortunately, you know. yes. And, and, now, and now this morning, at uh, five o'clock this morning, uh, Moscow, um, standard time, uh, Vladimir Putin makes us all suddenly remember the fact that that the Russian Federation has got many, many thousands of nuclear warheads targeted at the major cities of the West. Apart but from London, because they own London. And don't they own London. They won't yeah. blow London up. And yeah. in fact, I'm thinking that maybe coming to West Wales might not have been the best bug, <laughs> the bug out going, you know. In fact, as I, uh, as I DM'd the Prime Minister this morning, my old friend Boris, hey, hey, hey comrade Boris, uh, have you got any, any ideas where's a good place to bug out now that World War III's in... in He's in progress. What about London? I'm thinking London because the Russians are not going to nuke their own shit, are they? He hasn't got back to me. He's such an ill-mannered... <laughs> I know. Blood. So rude. He's, he's, but this is what these privileged types are like. You know, so nuclear annihilation, environmental degradation, in, uh, economic instability, cultural instability, you know, the, the cultural thing. I mean, these, these things can blow up. <laughs> into all kinds of oh, manner yeah. of nasty things. And it's not surprising or unreasonable that people are freaking out. No, of course not. But two aspects, the individual and the collective. And it, it, I think we have to tease them apart and then put them back together. And that, that is how I would, I would proceed if you were asking me to write a piece on this. You know, my plan would be, let's look at the individual, let's look at the collective, let's, let's see how they relate. And 
that question is very, very, very interesting. You, you know, how do, how do they relate? And it's got more, more twists and turns in it than, than, than you might imagine. You just might imagine this sort of like one-to-one relationship, you know. Not so. Uh, if you if you take a, a broad look, and of course we always like to take a broad look, we like to look at the different systems which interact with each other. Now we've done stuff on on this before, and I'm pretty sure I've done st- stuff sort of way back uh, about individual insecurity. And uh, I might have, I don't remember exactly, but I've probably talked about Alan Watts's book, The Wisdom of Insecurity. It's like a little self help book, right? A little book for individuals to to get a bit of a hand, handle on their own feelings of psychological in, insecurity, where they might come from, how one might intelligently comport oneself to that. And I, I, I kind of bought hundreds of copies of that book and handed them out for birthday presents and Christmas presents to because I just think it, as far as self help goes, it's 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 pretty useful. In general, I'm 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 a bit. Um, suspicious of the self-help industry because as soon as capitalism gets hold of it they turn it into a commodity we will help you and then you get you, you, you get the whole kind of thing that's so easy to take the piss out of how, it, how, how gullible Americans are to this stuff but I mean the British are very very close behind you know self-help how to be the better you and all this we're on a journey all this bollocks, you know, and, and, I, and I, I kind of hate it because I think it's, it's, it's a big rip-off. But nevertheless, I think what's he's on to summit, you know, he was, he was a, med, a meditator and a, a priest at one point in his life and a, a, a zenist and all the rest of it. It was all these things, what's... I mean, he described himself as a... Um, what did he say? A genuine fake. His autobiography is called Genuine Fake, you know. Yeah. And I think what's makes some very good points... In, in that book, and they're points that really draw on, on the philosophers of change or impermanence, which is called Anika in Buddhism or Anitya, impermanence, nothing is permanent, not even your emotions, not even yourself, not even any any part of you, everything is fleeting, it's born, it lives and it dies, everything. And a view echoed by, by some great philosophers, Heraclitus in Greece, Lao Tzu in China, which we've done many, many, many podcasts about. You know, Lao Tzu is a, a great philosopher of impermanence. Of course, Nietzsche, I would say, in more modern times, and in in in, in a kind of specialised kind of way, even people like Marx, you know, they're all people who try and grasp the process nature of reality. And Whitehead, Alfred North Whitehead, like uh, did some wonderful work around that idea. Uh, what's his thesis very roughly is that we're in we we find it very hard to accept accept this, and we invent ideas to compensate. Just putting it very crudely, we tell ourselves stories to compensate, or we allow ourselves even worse to be told stories, yeah. told and sold stories. Yeah. We're on a journey. Hundred dollars, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Buy the course online. Special reduction to you, special person. You have been chosen. Only ninety dollars. Only nine hundred dollars. Only nine thousand dollars. You know. So th- this is what we do. This is this compensatory mechanism of of telling us ourselves a story that that removes the anxiety of the fact that we, we are mortal and we can die any moment. 
And if the universe decides not to kill us just yet, it could perhaps decide to just mow us down and uh, and maim us so that we're, we're kind of crippled for the rest of our lives or blinded or in need of like constant medical attention or care, whatever, you know. The insecurity of life is kind of rooted in, in, in our animal, material, physical being as biological organisms that grow, sustain a while and die. That, that's the big one, according to Watts, you know, and according to the Buddha, and according to Lao Tzu. So we don't like change, you know. We don't, we don't like the dynamism of things and we attempt to, de- to deny it, just as... Just as a, as a kind of almost a primordial reflex. Now I think societies have existed which are able to tell themselves stories that don't fall into that trap. It's not like this is an essence of human beings, particularly, but it's something that's bound to crop up given our organic nature as animals in different societies from time to time. And it's certainly dominated, say, the West, in the form of Christianity, I would say which tells us that, stop worrying about that, your soul's immortal. You know, or stop worrying about the unchanging because God, immortal, invisible, never changes, the ancient of days, etc. So Very, very comforting. Yeah, which of course has been an official doctrine of the most politically powerful uh, organisation in, uh, since the Roman Empire, in other words, the Catholic Church, for instance, you know, dom- dominated y- Europe and the, and, and the West for many centuries with precisely this palliative against impermanence, against the intrinsic insecurity of animal life. So what's his thesis is we tell ourselves stories to compensate for that because we do not like it. Yeah. And what what's kind of makes the point that it's a mistake? People become slaves to the story, but more importantly, slaves to the people who are telling them the story, don't they? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's beautifully put. Yes. And not only is it a mistake because it's just it's it kind of it's not based in reality. At some level, we have to deny what what's right in our face which is our mortality and the fact that we live in a, a, a universe of change and we ourselves are a universe of constant change, Heracleitian flux, Buddhist impermanence, you know, Lao Tzu's series of transformations, which is what the universe is from its beginning to its end. You know? So it's a mistake because it's not based in reality. It's also a mistake because what it robs us of. Absolutely. And what it robs us of, primarily I would say, is aesthetic experience. I think all experiences of sublimity are in fact experiences in which we throw off our comfort blankets and directly encounter the swirl and turbulence of existence, including our own existence. That's what Lao Tzu's style of meditation is, and and the Buddha's actually, you know, it's, it's a style of confronting, not in a hostile way. Being with would be better than in confronting, comporting ourselves to be open to that very fact of existence as it is unfolding before us and inside us. Yeah. You sit on your cushion, and there is there's all this flux, you know, 
She said, he said, they said, oh, what happened in 1956? Da, 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 Chatter, 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 you know, all that. But, but to bear with it, you know, it's not so much, it, certainly in the hands of Lao Tzu, not an attempt to change ourselves, but an attempt to recognise what, what what's very sort of right in the foreground and the background for that matter of, of, of the flow of our, our lived experience. Yeah, and engaging with that flow helps us to yeah. become more resilient and and become a lot more skilled at yeah. uh, quality problem solving. Whereas if you're just completely hiding from reality in your little bubble, you don't you don't get all of that. Yeah. Like you said, it denies us some very important experience. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean that that uh, that that what the what that um, that advantage of. Uh, Aligning oneself, comporting oneself in the manner recommended by the Buddha and Lao Tzu and Heraclitus is in fact that, you know, with a bit of look and a following wind, if one has a little bit of ability, the thought becomes clearer, you know, um, a bit more efficient, you know, because reality grounded. If I can use a sloppy term like reality, I'll put some inverted commas around it, but you know what I mean. This is what is, by reality I mean, that which is right in your face, that it's, you can only deny by getting into the most convoluted uh, trains of thought and, and theorising and speculation, so that you end up arguing about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. You get lost in that, you know. You, this is the rabbit hole that takes you down. Angels on the head of a pin. Theology. Onto theology. You're going to give it a correct term. Onto theology, you know. It's the problem. And Watts points it out with, with, with tremendous ability, great clarity, in a self help book for hippies. That was the first thing that jumped into my mind. Was, oh, yeah, Alan Watts. And of course, oh, yeah, we've done podcasts on that. So, that the, on the individual level, human beings from time to time, and perhaps for the majority, of our time, I, don't, I mean, I don't know for sure, but for a lot of the time on our planet, certainly in this culture, we have been in the thrall of this denial, uh, this mechanism of denial of our, of our individual insecurity. What what's like Lao Tzu say? Just relax into it. It confronts the wrong word. Be with it and relax into it, and it's fine. You'll be fine. You don't need to be anxious about this stuff. It's superfluous, but we've been taught for, for for many, many centuries that you have to be anxious about this stuff. What says don't be anxious about this stuff? There's no need. You can learn not to be anxious about it. Just be with it. And then you discover either it's very beautiful. And there, I, I think there's no experience of, of, of sublimity, certainly, in those old 18th century aesthetic categories. Sublimity. And and a direct encounter with the fact that everything is changing all the time with, with this impermanence. And this is why Turner had himself strapped to the mast of a ship and says to the sea captain, sail me out into the worst storm you can find. <laughs> you know, and he's there with his fucking sketchbook. That's how much of a nutter he was. But that was a tremendous experience. It's why people jump out of aeroplanes and all this daft stuff. We have the experience of the sublime in which we are dwarfed by the, 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 the immensity of this swirl and turbulence of existence which is a trillion times more powerful than, than, than anything that humans can do. 
It's anything that Vladimir Putin can do or, 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 or Joe Biden can do. This is the fucking the, the force and the energy and the violence of the universe, and it dwarves us. And that's why the great painters of the Sung and the Yuan put their little tiny figures. I mean, I've seen some of those paintings, I've t and, and they are they're, they're like seven or eight feet tall on big pieces of silk, you know. They're not like little little sketches. They are absolutely monumental feats of of painting, and they. So you've got this thing on the wall there hanging down, they're kind of like long and thin, they hang down, don't they, you know, a piece of silk. Big swirly mountains. And a little tiny figure, quarter of an inch in the bottom corner, you know. That's the experience of the sublime, being in the landscape. You know. And this is the greatest aesthetic experience. Now the experience of beauty, if I'm allowed to use these 18th century aesthetic terms, that are a little bit sloppy, we could do better, but not, not here now. Um, we we are in a similar ballpark, but the experience of beauty is rather more more, more more calm than the experience of sublimity. It's more even. It's more peaceful. It's nevertheless it's it's just as stirring as the sublime, if one can get it, even though a lot more subtle. But I would say that that is in the same ballpark. That beauty, that all all deep beauty, uh, is perceived by us when we realise that it's it's fleeting. It's the fleetingness of it which gives it... I mean, I know some people would disagree. Somebody like Otto Rank thought that all art was was, was the opposite of that, that it attempted to to make the artist immortal, at least in terms of reputation and name. Or, or you know, like the pyramids, great works of art, it's there to provide immortality for the pharaoh. But nevertheless, it seems to me, and you know, and I would argue this that, that sublimity certainly and beauty almost certainly are these very, very great experiences which we deny ourselves if we deny our intrinsic animal insecurity, mortality, vulnerability to suffering, and that what's is right that on the individual level, your best bet for dealing with that stuff is to meditate on it. And lose the an the anxious comportment to it, the anxious, frightened relationship with it, which has been used to jerk us around for centuries. So that's that. That, that is what I think. How this, you know, how the question of insecurity is best lost, very roughly, in terms of the individual. And yeah, in terms of the individual psychology, the individual psyche, this is this is psychological insecurity. So I'm going to try and encapsulate a few, a few of those things now. And I want to say that if one repudiates impermanence, then you have to, you have to rely on magical thinking, like immortality, God, etc. You know, the unchanging. This is magical thinking. The immortality of the soul. It's magical thinking. And you have to rely on that if you if you want to have some kind of repudiation in your mind, in your belief system, of of, of this this stark fact of impermanence. We do not want to buy into that one. Except it would be great for us if we did. So we have to rely on magical thinking. And of course religion, organised religion. Has, has been very good as a mechanism for producing this this magical palliative. Yeah. 
which also incidentally, well perhaps not incidentally, has allowed the institutions of religion to become uh, enormously politically powerful. Even though that's waning now, but we have had a whole kind of theological uh, chunks of, of time in certain societies where, where this is this is what the story has been, you know. But the tellers of the stories have become the controllers of the society by exploiting the frightening insecurity of animal human life, animal physical human life. Okay, so what about uh, the collective aspects of insecurity? And I call this material insecurity. And this is what you were talking about right at the beginning. You know, you, you say, well, 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 people, the cost of living is rising at this fantastic rate, but wages are not rising, people's incomes are not rising. You know, we had this pandemic, pandemic out the blue. What's to say there isn't going to be another one? You study, you study the world economy, you study the stock market, you, and, and, and you go, and you start studying the nature of money and the nature of trade, and you go, oh my God, there's no way this can carry on like this. You know? And of course, Brexit in, in this country has rubbed our noses in that, in that instability of the economy, of the global economy, which it is a global thing, the economy is a global thing. And then, of course, you know, climate, 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 climate. Then, of course, acre, then, of course, on top of that, the big one, environmental, degra environmental degradation, ecological degradation, yeah. of which the, uh, the poster boy of environmental degradation is global warming. And we've got all that. So this is actual real material insecurity. And it comes down to sort of very basic levels. People that have to go to a food bank in the UK, you know. Somebody gets their house possessed in the US. You know. People who are, people who are struggling because suddenly rents are just go, going up, but their wages are not. And so on and so on. People who are having their countries invaded, <laughs> you know, by much bigger and much more tooled up other nations, other countries. Yeah. So we've got all that, and that, that amounts to material insecurity. But of course, all of that plays out on the level of societies, in fact, on the level of global society. Now, there's an aspect of this, this collective experience, this, this collective manifestation of human insecurity that I want to draw your attention to, and that is the fact that we, as the type of animals we are, in pretty well every type of society that's ever fucking existed, that's ever, ever existed, have a propensity to secure and enhance life. You think about that, it sounds like a big grand statement, but there's no way we're not going to try and ensure that our, that our children live into adulthood so that they can reproduce, and, you know. There's no way we're not going to make, make a, a technological discovery, say, like fire or pottery, you know, or the blockchain. There's no way we're not going to avail ourselves of these things. You know, and this, 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 this is 
what we are. You know, we're homo fiber, the animal that makes things, the, the hominid, the ape that makes things. Homo fiber, you know. And we are bound to do that. that we are bound to do that. And there's no, there's no point getting, to my mind, get, getting into a weird moral relationship with that aspect of ourselves. You know, we've got to do that. But moreover, we've got to make a proper job of it. You know, we've got to do it a bit better than we've been doing it because the way we've been doing it so far has, has led to this impasse of complete ecological unsustainability. If I can summarise this propensity to, to secure an enhanced life, I would say it's inevitable and necessary, but it's also corruptible. The process can be captured by interests, which I think we are living in a period in which the, pro the process of securing and enhancing life has been captured by interests, in fact, by a particular economic class, you know, the 1%, the oligarchs, you know. The, the CEOs of companies like BlackRock and so forth, you know. This is a very, very small number of people. It's a very small number of men, mostly. And it's a very small number of white men, mostly. But And that, I would say, is, 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 is a corruption because it means that that process, that necessary process, stops doing what it's supposed to do. It stops securing and enhancing life. You know, you invent an atom bomb, in the attempt to secure an enhanced life, and you've actually made life far more insecure because now you're capable of completely annihilating the species. Whereas before, you could kind of throw rocks and pour boiling oil on a few Vikings, you know, or shoot them with bows and arrows, and, and that was it, you know, and life went on. Humans had battles and skirmishes, life went on until World War II, you know, till 1945, Hiroshima, Nagasaki. And you thought, well, fuck me, this is a different kettle of cod now. We are in that position now. And that's what I mean by the, the corruption of that, that necessary and inevitable process. So a question comes in here now then. How, do, how does this sit with the wisdom of insecurity? We've thought Alan Watts is talking sense, Buddha's talking sense, Lao's talking, Lao Tzu is talking sense, Heraclitus is talking sense. Because they're all talking sense on the level of the individual psyche. But you might think that the wisdom of insecurity means that you give up the propensity to secure an enhanced life. You know, and certain sort of anti-technology and sort of modern neo-Luddite movements are kind of like that. It's a me immune system. We won't have any vaccines, we've got the immune system, you know. And uh, this, this kind of stuff. That's obviously not viable either so, so how do these two things sit together and as i said earlier on this is where it gets interesting so on the one hand we've got this never-ending quest to secure an enhanced life this restlessness on the other hand it seems if, if what's is right if buddha's right etc that we can't eliminate all insecurity and if if alan watts and the buddha are in fact wise we shouldn't even be bothered by that we should say, well, we've got this insecurity, it's the nature of things. It's actually, uh, as difficult as it is for us to, we have to do a lot of meditation to accommodate ourselves to it. But when, once we do, we realise it also grants us some very great goods, aesthetic experience, clarity of thought, you know, a, a way of analysing that takes account of mo movement. Instead of, instead of trying to deal with fixed things, instead of dealing with structures, you start dealing with processes. 
it's, it's like immensely scientifically productive as well as artistically productive to actually embrace this this thing but it seems like there's a bit of a push and a pull there you know they, they, they don't sit square with each other these two do they And it's at this point I always I always keep uh, <laughs> just being reminded by by um, a saying of uh, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. <laughs> you know, trust in God, but tie up your camel. You know, trust in God. There's the psychological thing. Of course, we're thinking that God's part of the problem, but it's like trusting God actually means for us be okay with your impermanence. And the impermanence of the world. Just settle down into that because there ain't going to be anything you can do about it. You know, except by telling yourself a lot of uh, fantastic lies and denying what's right in front of your face. But tie up your camel. Tie up your camel is that it's material insecurity. Look after your practical affairs. That means plant your seeds in the spring, you know. Do your very cunning organic methods to make sure you don't get potato blight or whatever. You know. Build your local community with your goodwill and do all that work of liaising with people, forming cooperations with people and so forth. Do all that. That's what type your camel means. Type your camel actually is, is on that level of what I've called like the you know, the collective practical uh, material insecurity you deal with your material insecurity by tying up your camel you deal with your psychological insecurity with a deep trust in all the facts in all the root facts of your existence you can call it trusting God if you like and, and th that is what the conundrum is and that is the way individual Insecurity sits with collective insecurity. And tie up your camel actually means that we should, we should build societies and culture and politics, political processes, governments if you like, systems of managing our collective energy, our collective purpose, that does what it's supposed to do, which is to secure and enhance life. Society is a machine for securing and enhancing life. Culture is a machine for securing and enhancing life. Should be, but it's corruptible, and it's in, not not in a moral sense. It's just that it can easily get captured by by single classes, which very very frequently in human history it has done. Now, if David Graeber and David Wengrow are right in their wonderful book, the, the the Dawn of Everything. There have been many societies which it hasn't panned out that way. And they, they, they draw this conclusion by consulting the archaeological and the anthropological archive they call it and it's a great move they say we're not looking wide enough when we try and figure out what we can do with human society what possibilities are open to us and they show that there are many many more possibilities but we you know in our modern culture believe that there are hardly any possibilities we feel as though we've been driven down into a cul we've been kettled in a cul-de-sac by the world you know by our own stupidity we've been kettled in a cul-de-sac Greiber and Wengrow, by, by looking at the archive, tell us that actually there's millions of possibilities. People have done all sorts of imaginative stuff 
to deal with the conundrum of human life, which has all these tensions at the centre of it, like this one that we're talking about now. And uh, you realise that, you realise that we could, you know, that tie up your camel means get your shit together and let's, let, let, let's build fashion, society, culture, politics, systems of focusing our energy, which we loosely call government, our collective energy and our collective purpose. But actually do what they're supposed to do, which is to secure and enhance life. Now, if at the same time as that individuals, human individuals in this society, at least some of them, are able to comport themselves to the inherent insecurity of life with a, with, with a lack of anxiety, and at the same time availing ourselves of the goods of our insecurity, or the aesthetic experiences and the modes of thinking that go along with it, then I think we've got a bit of a chance of building a society and a culture and a politics uh, that, that will do what it's supposed to do to secure and enhance life. In fact, the best way to secure and enhance life is to first of all realise the ways in which life is insecure. Secondly, to, em to embrace that which we can't do anything about and which actually is very, very intrinsic, very, very deep down in, in, in our existence as human beings. And to get to grips with that, and of course, the way forward here, of course, is to be reality grounded rather than grounded in magical thinking. If you're grounded in magical thinking, you're heading straight into that cul-de-sac, that dead end. And what the, ang the, the anxiety that, that our world is experiencing now, just to put it very, very crudely, is actually the anxiety of being at a complete, a complete dead end with nowhere to turn and feeling that we have no options. Because the truth is, did we, if only we could abandon magical thinking, we'd realise we have loads of options. And if we could abandon being frightened and lashing out in our fear at the intrinsic insecurity of our life, at the fact that we're going to die, at the fact we can be struck by lightning any day of the week, and the fact that, I don't know, the world might end tonight when Putin presses the button, then we're in with a chance. Otherwise, I think we're not in with a chance. So we heard a lot of we heard, we heard a lot of talk about uh, about security, you know, and, uh, in in the political level. I mean, in fact, what was Mr. Putin talking about now? Uh, you know, as he's, he's marching his troops into the Ukraine, he's saying, I, "I'm doing this to to ensure the security of my my people in my nation, Russia." Right? You know, we I want to guarantee the security of my people. So that, rightly or wrongly, whether he's lying or whatever, you can see how this is like a big theme. And it, 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 it strikes me that in, in the, the, the terribly unstable conditions, say in the UK, that, that uh, the working class, the ordinary people, the 99%, that they actually want security, in a very basic sense, material security. Not ridiculous wealth. I mean, people do the lottery and the football pools, you know, and, have, and, and we'll, we'll entertain idle dreams of being, being infinitely rich. But the truth is, you really, really push them in their heart of hearts, what do they want? They're not bothered about being fabulously wealthy. They want being reasonably prosperous. Reasonably prosperous, but secure, right? Can get the kids, can get an education without, but, without, be, without bankrupting themselves, without, being, without becoming debt peons. 
yeah. and a lifetime of debt, which incidentally the government extended the period for repaying student loans from 30 years to 40 years. Right, so you're going to be in debt now if you if you go and get a degree. If you're a young person stepping out in life till you're sixty, and of course they're going to make more interest out of it, and they're reducing the number of university places. So you're a working you're a working class dad, and your kids are coming up to their teens, and they're doing your GCSEs, and you want them to get on. But you've got this there. There's kind of an insecurity in not being able to to get like the best education if you've got you know just just offering education to the people. Simultaneously, we don't want to be bombed in our sleep. We don't want we don't want our young people to be conscripted and sent off to get the bollocks shot off. In a, in in a, in a di- and their tits shot off <laughs> in a distant country, right? And we want eno- enough to eat without having to fret about it and worry about it. And a job that's going to be there in twelve months' time. Not a precarious existence going from precarious gig to precarious gig, self-employed, inverted commas, and all the insecurity in that. People are actually being driven mad by this shit. Yeah, it's really it's, affecting their health as mm. well because they're just so exhausted. Yeah, food security. Yeah. The basic thing, food security. There will not be a famine. It's extremely unlikely there'll be a famine. Health security. If I get ill, it's not going to bankrupt me. It's going to be bad enough being ill, bad enough getting getting cancer or COVID or whatever, let alone then ending up with, certainly in the US, you know, and our neoliberal politicians want this for the UK too, that you've got a $50,000 debt at the end of it or a $100,000 debt. You know, when Trump got COVID and they give him the experimental antibodies, and the, the antibody therapy, you know, they'll give plasma from somebody who's had it, and did it. so you, and it, it cost hundred thousand dollars that treatment. It's only in hospital for two or three days. You and I won't get that. You know, so health security. These basic things is what is what is is what is what your your your, your working class person wants. You know, on on average, this this is what the great thrust would be for if you really were able to. Dig down and investigate people's real, real desires for themselves and their their relatives and their, and their communities. Yeah. Community security. You know, you're not going to go out and there's a rival gang from the other religion coming down the street with their to- with their with their fucking tiki torches. You know, mm. coming to wanting to throw a petrol bomb through your window or put a bullet through your kneecaps or whatever. Because if people have security, so this is the with the base, yeah. they can build on that base because yeah. it enables them to plan for the future. So they they can decide to start a family, or move house, or change their job, or perhaps go, like, even to to go uh, travelling and explore different places and different countries. So that if you don't have your baseline of security, your ab- ability to look into the future and make decisions about what you're you know what you're going to do with your life is is mm. completely wrecked isn't yeah. it yeah and of course this is what B- bernie sanders and um uh, and jeremy corbyn were very very reasonably non in a non-revolutionary fashion op- uh, offering as their uh, their offer you know we will try and do this yeah you know but unfortunately the counter idea prevailed and the counter idea is this it's that social insecurity is a good thing because it produces a mobile labour force. Yeah. 
they'll go where the work is. And if, if the work's very fleeting and you get a gig here and a gig there, you know, that mobile labour force has become very, very fucking mobile, you know. It's not very convenient to be one of those labourers particularly, you know. But, you, you know, you need to kind of settle a little bit if you're going to do families and careers and studying and all the rest of it, you know. But the, the argument is, then this is the neoliberal argument, that social insecurity produces this mobile labour force, the dynamism, and that in turn will, you know, the, the, the more able workers will become entrepreneurs. They'll think, I'm sick of this, I'm going to now get rich. And, you know, this is the story, and I'll be a self-made man. Mm-hmm. It's all bollocks, there are no self-made men. They all had a silver spoon pretty well. So that's the that's the counter the counter idea, and that is the idea that's prevailed. That has won the battle for now. We need to sort of obviously if, on on the battleground of idea shift it aside with this with this much with with the 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 the, the analysis of, of security for citizens, the ninety nine percent of citizens on the planet. Number one priority: security. You know, and if your village is going to be flooded because of global warming. That's not helping you to, to have that security. And it's people who are insecure in, in that sense, on the on the, the verge of famine, that, 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 that up, uproot and, and become refugees yeah. or, or who, who, who become so desperate that they, they fall prey to manipulators and horribly toxic and malignant ideas. Just as some kind of way of getting... Of, Relieving the pain of that of, it, of that situation. She said the the response to intrinsic insecurity to impermanence that this neoliberal take has, has, has availed itself of is very easily manipulated by ideologues and has been for decades. And in fact, you know, on occasions throughout human history and prehistory, there's always some clever Charlies realise they can exploit this. Absolutely. And they can tell the stories, you know. And the the, the now liberal counter idea to our our, uh, plea for security is actually just such an idea, you know. It serves an interest. It serves the interest of the 1%, of the oligarchs, of the capitalists. But I would say that all of the responses to our intrinsic insecurity, all of them, involve a denial of reality. If I can put your reality in inverted commas, you know, the reality of impermanence, that which is right in our face. Impermanence, mortality, everything shifting and changing. And that in turn gives rise to a suspicion of these very great goods, aesthetic experience. Experiences of the sublime, experiences of beauty. And that in turn leads to a consequent truncation of intelligence as magical thinking is promoted. And now liberalism is, is, is as magical in its thinking as angels on the head of a pin. <laughs> yeah. You know. It, 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 instead of God, you've got the market, you know, the invisible hand of the market. If there's ever any example of magical thinking, it is the invisible hand of the market. You know? <laughs> yeah. So magical thinking ends up being promoted. And, of course, the Koch brothers have just uh, just been uh, uh, allowing money. They, they, well, say the Koch brothers, David died in the 
couple of years ago. But Charles Charles Koch's money is finding its way into anti-vaxxers and other such irrationalists, climate deniers. Yeah. People who think that, that some, some kind of science isn't at least our very best bet, even if not foolproof, for getting some purchase on these problems. And I would say that all of this in turn reduces the ability of people to, pra to practically secure and enhance life, as we are bound to do. So there's this thing that we're absolutely compelled to do out of our biological existence to secure and enhance life that doesn't work properly because we didn't accept and embrace and celebrate the intrinsic insecurity of life at the outset and therefore allowed ourselves to be manipulated by the fear and anxiety that arises out of that realisation of our impermanence as opposed to having a, an intelligent comportment to it as individuals and then as societies and communities. So hopefully some useful ideas there about the, uh, the way we can respond to the insecurity generated by the rapidly unfolding events of the, the, inter the interesting times we are living in. So I hope that's helpful for everybody and we'll speak to you soon.